Our global yoga community means the world to us. And during these uncertain times, it's important that we support each other now more than ever. So if you haven't already, please check out and support the COVID-19 Yoga Teachers and Studio Support Fund, which has been set up by the yoga mat company Lifeform, who have donated a whole month's worth of profits to get this fund going. And you can donate to support yoga teachers and studios in need right now. And you can nominate a teacher or studio in your local area to potentially receive an award from this fund. Now it's open to everyone, to anywhere in the world, and to find out more, please visit yogasupportfund.com. Welcome to Child's Pose, a yoga podcast hosted by me, Michael James Wong, teacher, author, and founder of Just Breathe, Boys of Yoga, and Sunday School Yoga. Now this podcast aims to deepen your understanding, expand your perspective, and inspire your yoga practice. As I speak to teachers, community leaders, experts, and also ordinary practitioners about the topics and techniques that have evolved and progressed over the years. From the evolution of alignment, to the joys of practicing at home and now online, to what yoga means to the next generation of teachers. My hope with this podcast is that I can share the wisdom from those early years through conversations with some of the pioneers of the practice, but also speak to the next generation of teachers who are doing their part to keep yoga relevant in the real world. So join me each week as we deepen our understanding, expand our perspective, inspire our practice, and discuss yoga. Past, present, and wherever it's going next. Child's Pose. Let's begin. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. And this week on the podcast, I'm speaking to Travis Elliott, who is an amazing teacher based in Los Angeles. Now, Travis himself is not only an amazing teacher, he's a very old friend and for me a huge inspiration because he's one of the first teachers I ever practiced with back in the early 2000s when I was starting yoga in Los Angeles. But not only a, an amazing teacher himself, Travis is a teacher who has had his own story. You know, he's survived two near-death experiences, uh, one in Kauai and another during a tsunami in 2004 in Hawaii. And since then, he made it his vow and promise to dedicate his life to spreading the teachings of yoga and meditation to as many people as possible. You know, he's known worldwide for his teaching and his signature holistic flow yoga classes are rooted in Los Angeles, but he does teach all over the world. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing teacher. He's also a, an author and has created lots of groundbreaking online programs. Uh, most notably, he's the co-founder of an online platform called Inner Dimension TV, which is an amazing place for loads and loads of classes um, with him. You know, Travis himself is also one of the faculty at Kripalu Institute, as well as 1440 uh, Multiversity in, in, the, in the U.S., and has really recently become passionate about sharing the practice inside maximum security prisons and other places that needs light brought into the darkness. Travis himself is someone that I really truly admire over the years and we've been friends for a very long time. And on this episode, we're going to be talking really about the responsibility of a teacher and what it really means to teach what you know and lean into having mentors and teachers that inspire you. Uh, I hope that you guys listen and enjoy this conversation on this week's episode of Child's Pose. Hey, Travis, how's it going, man? Welcome to the episode. Oh, man, it's going great. Thank you for having me on uh, Child's Pose, and congrats on the new podcast, man. It's, it's, it's a great excuse for us to get to reunite. Thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, it is such a great excuse, and I'll say I'm the first one to be guilty of it's long overdue. You know, it's, it's a, a true honor and blessing to be able to have this time with you because I think I might have told you this before, and this would have been years ago, but you were one of the first teachers I ever practiced with in L.A. I mean, I'm going to say back in 2000, 2001 or something like that, <laughs> which is, you know, which was great. So, I mean, you know, after all these years, and I'm going to say probably quite honestly in the first 10 years, 
we didn't know each other and you, I probably just, you know, wandered in and out. But looking back fondly, it's always so nice uh, to catch up with you, to chat with you, or just to follow along on the stuff you're doing. So I'd love to uh, spend this time that we have together just, just learning and reconnecting. So um, thank you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, on this podcast, I mean, the whole point of this, and obviously we're recording this still in arguable lockdown times or quieter times, and even before we started, you and I had this really nice chat of kind of really looking at the positives of this moment. And even in a sense, uh, I thought maybe even before we dive right into it, because we do have a lot of people listening from all over the place and some people who are very excited to kind of hear and catch up with kind of your words of wisdom, but obviously people who might be newer to the conversation of, of Travis and Travis's world. I mean, what's going on with you right now? How's life? Uh, what are you up to? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles and typically, uh, I, I travel quite a bit, so about every month I'm, you know, teaching at a yoga studio or a conference or workshop or uh, a retreat, you know, somewhere around the world. And uh, with the coronavirus that, that hit, you know, all of that has been really wiped clean uh, through the rest of 2020. So in a dramatic way, as is the case for probably everybody listening, our, our worlds and uh, lives and, and normalcy has been really uprooted. And that's been the case for me. The good thing is, one of the many good things is I had a, a baby back in uh, January. So she's now five and a half months. Her name is Willa. And being home and not being on the road is such a blessing because I get to spend so much quality time with this beautiful little girl. And uh, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about, uh, you know, what, what's happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm just like Groundhog Day, man. I'm just going through the same thing day in, day out, pretty much, you know. Um, yeah. Not a, not a whole lot of spice in, in the mix, but uh, between Willa and my personal practice, and I have an online streaming platform called Interdimension TV. Mm-hmm. Those three things are really keeping me um, busy during these unprecedented times. Yeah, I mean to hear things are going well congrats on the new extension to the family i mean even what you said was quite nice and actually kind of made me think about this thing i mean you said nothing's too spicy and in a weird way it's kind of it's quite nice how plain and even and dare i say boring days are in in such a really beautiful way yeah totally it's like in uh in ayurveda medicine sometimes when people do like an ayurveda cleanse they go on a mono diet Mm -hmm. and so you're eating the same thing every meal breakfast lunch and dinner which is basically basmati rice mung dal and uh, steamed veggies and it's kind of like in a weird way like that's what we're doing we're all on this mono diet where we're just repeating the same thing over and over and over again but within that repetition and within that simplicity is the opportunity to whittle away the BS and to come back, I think, to the things that actually are really, really important and meaningful, like our relationships and our own health, our own personal practice, our spiritual practice, our own learning, and finding ways to adapt in this this new landscape of especially the yoga teachers that might be listening. Yeah. How are we going to serve our communities? How are we going to serve through through these digital platforms now to not not let the obstacles that have arisen this year to to hold us back from spreading and sharing our dharma. Mm. No, absolutely. And I, there's been a, such a really beautiful gift in this moment of new beginnings for all yoga teachers, for all people. And obviously this conversation very much is about teaching yoga and the community of yoga. And I think even for people like ourselves, people maybe like yourself or even, you know, who've been around even longer teaching, it is almost like this rare moment of new beginning, starting fresh. You know, what do I want to do from here? And this gift of a moment is pause, which has been, I find really nice because like you as well, I've been in and out of airports and in and out of cities for the last three, four, five years, always with, you know, a bag packed. 
And I know you're very similar in that sense, but can you take me back to the beginning a little bit and, you know, the beginning of kind of yoga for you and you of that earlier generation, you know, let's call it before the big boom of, I mean, what was that like for you as a teacher at the beginning? Well, I actually started practicing in, in 2003. So you and I must have connected around probably 2005 because that's when mm. um, I started teaching yoga. Uh, if I have my dates correct, sometimes time is a little warped in my mind, but pretty sure that uh, that's, how, that's how it unfolded. So it was all one, one big accident after another in the beginning for me, really. I... I I got dragged to a yoga class in Santa Monica by a coworker at this hotel that I was at back then. And, uh, you know, yoga was love at first sight. And uh, I just started showing up to the studio as often as I could, three, four, five times a week. And uh, uh, a few months after I started practicing yoga, I went on a yoga retreat with this teacher named Govindas. Mm -hmm. And on the first day of the retreat, we did this hike in Kauai along the Nepali coast. And I went out into this, this uh, remote uh, area where we had uh, hiked out to and uh, went into the ocean, despite signs everywhere warning people not to get into the ocean because of really hardcore riptides. But I didn't, I didn't pay attention. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't listen to the signs. So I, I ended up having a near-death, near-drowning experience that was really intense and dramatic and uh, luckily survived that. And that started to shift things. And a year after that, I went on another retreat with the same teacher to Thailand. And uh, at the end of that retreat, I was invited to teach yoga. So that's how I began teaching. It wasn't something that I said, hey, I'm going to consciously make this happen or this is what I want to do. It was more of being steered in a direction and surrendering to the unknown uh, voice yeah. of what you could say was coming from from the universe. And uh, so I hadn't done a teacher training. Uh, I, w I wasn't prepared. Those those first classes were uh, probably some of the worst yoga classes that had ever been taught. <laughs> but I loved yoga and I was passionate about yoga and that's where I started from and uh, about a week and a half or two after teaching there in Thailand uh, the tsunami of 2004 hit right and I was a part of that and saw that up close and personal right. and again had another uh, close experience with with uh, with death and the impermanence of life so after Thailand, I came back to Los Angeles and I didn't have anywhere to teach, but I knew, I knew from that first yoga class that all I wanted to do was to teach yoga. I really felt like I found my, my path, my purpose, what was the most meaningful thing to me in my life. So uh, this girl who was cutting my hair back then uh, heard about this and she told me her husband had a dojo over in West LA and uh, right. to go talk to him. So I went and spoke to him and he uh, was very gracious inviting me to come and teach donation yoga in his, his dojo. And that's how I started. Started with teaching really, really small classes, two, three people. And then uh, a few months after doing that, my teacher uh, Govindas started inviting me to sub for him at Santa Monica Power Yoga above Radio Shack. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I got into uh, that world and that scene, which inevitably uh, uh, led to really this amazing path that I've been on ever since. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's, a, that's a crazy story, right? I mean, I, I've heard bits of that over the years and kind of read bits of that in the forwards of, of your of your book. And but I mean, to hear it in that kind of succession is, is quite crazy of how many moments you had early on of profound life and death, you know, just situations. And, and even the story of how you came into the practice and how you started teaching, I dare I would say is is not as common anymore these days right i mean would i be right to say that back in in, in that i'm gonna say era in the early 2000s 
you know, being a yoga teacher was the aspiration for, for everybody. It wasn't, you know, the, 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 you know, the mountain at the top that everyone's trying to reach to. It, it was, it was just something to do. It wasn't, it wasn't, definitely wasn't what it is today, right? Yeah, I mean, it certainly back then wasn't nearly as as mega huge as it is now. Like this was, you got to think, this was way before Instagram and Facebook and all the social media stuff. So there, there was there was just less of everything. It was a smaller movement. You know, nowadays you uh, you'll see a Peloton commercial coming on, and they'll be advertising yoga during a NFL football game. Or you'll see, uh, you know, a commercial for Calm, a meditation app. And back then, you know, you would you would ask people to meditate in a yoga class, and they would get up and walk out of the studio or chant Om, and people would get totally freaked out. Yep. It was it was definitely a different era, and there was there was just less. There was less. Uh, like I, this was before Lululemon existed. I remember yeah. when the very first Lululemon in the United States opened up a couple blocks from the studio. Like it was like, what is this store? Like what's going on in there? And all you know, the only yoga clothes that you could find back then were these real baggy, hippie-looking, hip—you know—yoga clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it indeed was was just a whole different uh, environment back then, and that's that's the beauty of it, right? Is seeing all that's all that's happened and and how this this movement has really exploded some people would say for better or worse but in my opinion it's all good you know you look at the amount of people now that yoga and meditation and mindfulness is just a part of their daily rhythms and their daily life to me the more people that are living that way the better this planet and the better this world is going to be no i totally agree with that and we talked about this at the top of the episode. Like, I mean, you and I come from that similar golden era where, you know, we were going into Santa Power Yoga. We were going into all the studios on the West Side. And you're right. I mean, I remember the first practices that I went to, which were arguably City Yoga out on Fairfax and West LA and Santa Monica Power Yoga. You know, none of that stuff was available. I mean, I remember distinctly walking in with a pair of like gap pajama pants thinking like, <laughs> this is the closest thing that I can do this in that I can move in. Right. And that, and, and those are kind of really nice, you know, beautiful stories from early beginnings. And it's kind of this, you know, if we look at it now in, in let's call it slight retrospect, I mean, we, we are in a very unique golden era of, you know, being around before and, and during and after kind of this big epic explosion, which is a beautiful thing. And so for you, when you were kind of in those early years and in those early times in the studio in, in L.A., and, you know, we can call L.A. like, you know, one of the, the Western epicenters of the explosion that influenced a lot of maybe how the modern practices has come to life. What was class actually like in those times? Like what was actually happening sequential wise? What, were, you know, what was the thing that, that people were really kind of enjoying and kind of obsessed with? Well, you know, I I think there there were some different things going on back then. I mean, uh, the teacher that I started with, Govindas, was really special in the sense that he was incorporating bhakti yoga, the yoga devotion, and kirtan, and chanting mantras with his harmonium at the beginning and the end of the, the physical yoga practice. And that for me was was explosively powerful because it it showed me that yoga is so much more than just a physical pose and a physical experience. And as important as it is to take care of the body through uh, sometimes strong yoga and sometimes soft yoga like yin and restorative, that ultimately all this yoga traces back to yoga being the mental science of stilling and quieting the mind so that the mind can become equanimous and no longer influenced by external factors and external events. Because the moment that you are a victim to an external circumstance is the moment that you're giving your power up. And the reason why we call it power yoga is because the practice is meant to empower you. It's meant to remind you 
that you have the power to dictate and create your own inner world despite what's going on outside of you. So you had teachers like Govindas that were both physical and sweaty and equally soulful and spiritual. And then you had other teachers like Brian Kess, who was the second teacher that I studied with and the, the owner of Santa Monica Power Yoga. And Brian Kess was famous for taking Ashtanga Yoga, which was this uh, set series of movements. And, you know, you have a, a set series, the primary series that you, you, you perfect and you practice and you work on before you move on. And he was the one that took Ashtanga Yoga along with uh, people like Baron Baptiste and Cheryl Bender Birch and uh, began to uh, become a little bit more spontaneous and imp improvisational from Ashtanga Yoga. So it's like we went from classical music to jazz music. And so Santa Monica in Los Angeles was dynamic and exciting because this was one of the birthplaces of power yoga, uh, sometimes known and referred to as vinyasa yoga. So people like Brian and uh, Shiva Ray and then Sean Korn and, and Vinnie Marino and all these people that grew out of that Santa Monica environment that were my teachers that I studied with it was very exciting back then because mm. it felt like it felt like as you said moments ago that that Los Angeles Santa Monica in particular was one of the epicenters of the way that yoga was being innovated into this new modern form and as we now know power yoga vinyasa yoga is said to be the most popular style of yoga on the planet doesn't mean that it's the most important or the most powerful but more people are doing that than any other style of yoga. Yeah, I mean, and do you, do you think at the time, and maybe it's a harder question to ask or easier question to ask, do you think at the time you knew you were in such a unique moment? I did. I mean, you know, to if you compare what's been happening recently to what was happening back then around 2003 and 2005 and even the later 2000s, you know, back then you would walk into a class with somebody like Brian Kest or Shiva Ray or Saul David Ray, and there would literally be over a hundred people packed into that, that studio. Oh yeah. There was a buzz. There was an electricity. There was a Shakti in those classes that gives me goosebumps thinking about it now. And even for myself, like I, I, I was fortunate where eventually I was able to build a following where my classes got to that place and nowadays you just you don't see that as much i mean a lot of those teachers don't even live in los angeles they all pieced out to yeah. ojai and, and who knows where <laughs> like they're, yeah, they're yeah. all gone you know which is it's, it's kind of sad but that's yeah, yeah that's again another example of the impermanence of this world that we live in it's all changing it's all in flux yeah. And it, but I mean, it is such a remarkable time. And, and, and I, I can remember back because I'd lived in LA at that time. You know, I very much was in those classes and uh, feeling that vibe. But I mean, I was oblivious to it. I just kind of thought, hey, this is just a really popular class. And this was a, a thing that everyone just seems to be doing. I mean, I didn't come from that world where not, it's not like I had loads of friends that were going to yoga classes. I was just kind of found my own feet through it. But even in that sense, you know, and I think I remember this was probably 2007, maybe 2008. I think there was some sort of stat or something that said like in a one mile radius in Santa Monica, there was 14 yoga studios or something like that. Um, you know, something something arguably absurd in how dynamic it was in, in Santa Monica at the time and how it kind of exploded from there. Yeah, they said that at one point there were more yoga studios than there were Starbucks, which is really hard to do. Yeah, and I mean, I can believe it for, for that little corner of the West Side. So for when, for when you started teaching in that environment and in those communities, I mean, how would you have described your teachings back then? Were you very much 
a influencer or a cookie cutter of your two teachers or was there space for you to find your own way in there? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, to be completely honest, in the beginning, I, I was a total uh, uh, copycat of, of my first teacher, Govindas, because that's when I, I started teaching was when I was a student of him. And that's all I knew. I didn't know anybody else. I hadn't taken anybody else's class. So I, I taught yoga the way he taught. I would often start off a class with some chanting. I had my harmonium and I, the, the chanting was really, really powerful for me because when I was nine years old, that's when I got introduced to meditation uh, through my mom who would give me these cassette tapes. So I would, I would meditate and when I went to my first yoga class, it was as if I had a, a homecoming or a reconnection back to that nine-year-old kid that I was. And that was really uh, powerful and moving for me. Yeah. And the chanting, the chanting would, was the most powerful, effective tool to help me awaken especially back then it was there was something about it where 30 seconds into chanting a mantra i was gone like i i would transcend what we call the small self or the ego the cage of the ego and i would i would literally feel connected to to oneness to mm -hmm. uh the uh the limitless power of of the universe and there was nothing more fast and immediate for me back then than the chanting so i would start classes off that way because here's the thing the most important thing as a teacher is to teach what you know to be deeply powerful for you and your experience and when you teach when you think, when you speak, when you act from that place, people out there are going to feel that. So that's where I started because I wasn't like most people are today where they first go and do a teacher training and then they go out and teach. I didn't have, I didn't have the, the, the knowledge and the, the, the real understanding of sequencing and even alignment. I always had an intuition to the spiritual and the energetic, the subtle energetic nature of yoga but the more uh the more alignment stuff and the anatomy um and the real smart safe sequencing all that mm. came later on in my career so it literally was trial and error uh for several years for me i mean the, i didn't even do my first yoga teacher training until about two years after i had already been teaching right right okay i mean i think that's a really a really powerful statement that you just made about this, about teaching what you know, in a, in a, especially in a world that we live in today and in a yoga community that we live in today. You know, we are very much, you know, celebrating uniqueness, celebrating uh, also a sense of tradition. And, you know, where, where do you think the, the balance is, especially for newer teachers who are kind of starting to walk this path now of, teaching what you know versus almost that expectation to teach what you should know or teaching what the practice expects of you. Well, as somebody once said, you know, you should never should all over yourself. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what we should do is, is not, not really the path because if we do what we should do, then we're just following the herd. And as they say, when you follow the herd, you step in other people's shit. So my, I was, I was so fortunate because I, I just, I, I have to thank my teachers, like my teachers, Govind Das and Brian Kess and Annie Carpenter and Srivatsa Ramaswamy from the Krishmacharya lineage, because I, I just wouldn't be who I am today, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for them. They, they showed me, they modeled to me what it meant to be a teacher, which for them was to be authentic. And Brian Kess especially, like Brian Kess was more than anybody that I've, I've ever been around, uh, just brutally authentic. And yeah. he taught, he oh, taught yeah. like, and that's what, that's what made his teaching so wildly popular because he wasn't doing what 
what you should do. Oh, yeah. Like Brian Kess was swearing. He was creating new sequences. He was, when he, when he went from Ashtanga Yoga to Power Yoga, he got condemned. He got blasted even in, in Yoga Journal by a famous Ashtanga Yoga teacher that he was bastardizing yoga. Yeah. So imagine, uh, imagine, you know, the rebellious spirit that it took uh, Brian to have to stick to his guns and and not do what you should do, but to do what felt authentic and powerful to him. That's what we need more of in the world. So I think for the teachers that are, are around today that are in the beginning of their path and the teachers that are going to become teachers in the future, for me, what's worked really well is having one foot in respecting the tradition, respecting the lineage, and having one foot within the possibility and the potentiality of where this modality of yoga can evolve into. And I think that's the way forward, where we honor, we honor the, the, the yogis that have been before us for generations to come, that we honor our teachers, that we every day we give gratitude to our teacher. And at the same time, we're open to evolving this, whether that's through new sequences, creating a new pose, adding in something that, that hasn't been done, whether that's storytelling or Dharma talk or uh, whatever it is for you that you feel passionate about, that you feel deeply inspired by, because when you teach from that place, again, people cannot help but feel it. This podcast is part of Sunday School Yoga, an international teacher's community, an online teacher training platform, supporting new and developing teachers as they learn, share, and grow together. So make sure you check out sundayschoolyoga.com to find out more about how to get involved and to explore the growing selection of online courses you can enroll in from anywhere in the world. I mean, I have a, a follow-up question for this, but before that, it, it reminded me of a really fun, funny Brian Kess story because, I mean, actually, to be fair, for me, I was introduced to Brian through you. Early on in those years, I used to practice in your class two, three times a week, you know, a bit hidden in the back and kind of ducking in and ducking out. And then, you know, I did a few of Brian's class, but then a few years on, I'm going to say maybe 2010, 2011, I went and actually did a training with Brian in Florida of all places. And it was, it was purely just kind of the timing worked. And so I ended up in a random small studio in the corner of a strip mall in Florida somewhere on a 10 day training with Brian. And it was the first time I actually spent significant time with him. And it was, it was kind of like someone had let, you know, the beast out and it was <laughs> just kind of, it took, it, it kind of blew me away because, you know, because it wasn't, let's call it a public class and it was kind of, you know, he was a bit more, you know, there was freedom to be rebellious. I remember these moments where like, you know, he'd just be teaching class and then he'd just let out a big burp, right? Or or, right. or you'd be in a half moon pose and he'd walk through class and just bump everyone over just enough to annoy you and then ask you, are you frustrated at me or are you frustrated at yourself because you're not in the pose? And it was all these kind of like really hard collisions egoically to say am I at fault here or is he at fault or is this just a bigger lesson at hand and I think you're absolutely right in these kind of moments where we have teachers who shift or shake something within us that really allow us to see perspective or to grow or to find our own rhythms because of that. I love that you tell that story because the same thing happened to me where I think it was the first class I ever took uh, and I'd introduced myself to him before and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm a student of Govindas and Govindas was trying to give me uh, some of his classes that he was ready to give up. But in order to get those classes, I needed to go to the head honcho, which was Brian. Right. And, you know, introduce myself to Brian so that hopefully Govindas could convince Brian to give me the classes because 
there was like a massive wait list of teachers that wanted to oh, teach yeah. in that studio. It was you know, like so popular back then. Like yeah, teaching at Power Madness. Yoga was like getting on Broadway or just the, oh yeah, it was, that it was, was like the, getting signed the NBA. Like you made exactly. It. it was the it was one of the biggest stages in, in the yoga world. So I had to go, you know, meet the meet the main dude. And uh, he did the same thing to me. I was in half moon pose and he came over and bumped me uh, so hard it knocked me out of the pose. And it was a test. What I later came to find out that one of Brian's most brilliant teaching tools is, is that he, he's not there to be your friend. Yeah. He's there to be your teacher. And part of the role of being a teacher is to make you bump up against your edge, to take you out of your comfort zone, and to sometimes even confront you. Mm. Because what he wants you to learn from is how do you respond to a moment of difficulty, of challenge, and adversity. As Nelson Mandela said, don't judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I've fallen down and then I got back up. So Brian in that moment wanted to see, is this guy going to play the role of a victim or is he going to play the role of somebody who's empowered? Is he going to be reactive or is he going to act from a place of responsibility? The ability to respond from a place of equanimity instead of reactivity is the essence of what the yoga practice is all about. So in many ways, Brian, didn't have the monkey suit that other some other teachers had you know some teachers would would have the the hemp clothes and the dreadlocks and the you know malas around the wrist and malas around the neck and not that there's anything wrong with that if that's what's authentic to you but brian had that he had his cargo shorts and his white v-neck shirt and that was it Oh yeah. But despite the simplicity of all that, despite burping, despite uh, profanity in his classes, despite knocking people over and confronting his students, I have to say he's one of the most real spiritual teachers I've ever met. Mm. No, I absolutely agree. Go on. No, I was just going to say somehow this is turning into a, a podcast about Brian Kiss. Yeah, but, you know. I mean, but actually, it, <laughs> it actually relates really perfectly to the essence of, of my question on this whole podcast for you is is actually the, the importance and the essence of having teachers and having, you know, and finding teachers that you practice with when you're a teacher as well and how important that is to your own progression, your own growth for you now obviously you know after all these years it's it's likely i'm um you know you you still go catch up with teachers you go spend time in the practice you still arguably are learning every step of the way every day yeah i mean i think the moment uh you know what we say in our teacher trainings is never become a teacherless teacher um because it's it's a daily, daily, daily practice, or in yoga, what we call sadhana. And um, I will say, you know, it's one of my, my, my biggest challenges these last few years, especially, is that my teachers, they left. Like, they, they <laughs> left L.A. Like, yeah. Brian, Brian left a, a, about a year and a half ago. Govindas is still around, thank God. But um, yeah. Brian left, Saul David Ray left, uh, Annie Carpenter left. They all left, and that's that's a big challenge. Luckily, we have you know all the great online avenues of, of studying with the most amazing teachers, and uh, I have that as a as a source. But for my my physical practice, uh, a lot of what I've had to surrender to is uh, is allowing myself to connect to my own inner teacher and then in other ways being a student so the last two or three years especially i've i've, I've gone and done a lot of studying in the world of mindfulness and meditation mm, with teachers yeah. jack cornfield and uh tara brock and uh, so I'm, I'm still a student and I'll always be a student. I'm still going back to the, the, the yoga texts and the yoga books. So, um, yes, it's very, very important 
as 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 teachers, especially beginning teachers, that we have in the way that my teachers were a model for me, we we need models in our life. We need yeah. we need guideposts. We need people to aspire to. Um, otherwise, what happens is is we can get swept off the path and into this big illusion of our priorities getting off where we start focusing more on building our, our Instagram followers than we do on our the development of our own teachings and, and deepening our own practice. Yeah, and I, and I love what you said about don't be a teacherless teacher and, and, and this very much is why I love chatting with you and catching up. I mean, it's very much the exact same thing we will say in our trainings is you know uh, we say a teacherless teacher is not honoring the seat of a teacher because it comes from maybe this idea that if we aren't learning continuously if we don't have our teachers our, our human teachers that we can go to and ask questions and connect with then at some point and in some ways we're almost acknowledging that we are the highest form of wisdom or that we have a definitive set of knowledge that we no longer need more and i think especially these days as you mentioned when there's more and more teachers uh coming out into the world and different ways and people kind of going to different countries to do their trainings or doing trainings online that uh, we can see a lot of new teachers not having teachers and they have a lot of influences or friends or teachers that they go to practice with but actually teachers that they are learning from and continue to learn from and going on a journey with I think is is something that potentially is slowly starting to be lost yeah I hear you and I, I know what you're saying and that comes back to that perspective of of the priorities and it's easy to get enamored with the, the fireworks of popularity and followers and the business side of things. And what I would say to that is, is you may have some short-term success, but ultimately you will not have long-term success. If you're interested in the, the big vision, the big picture of what it means to be a yoga teacher, and I've seen it, mm. and I've seen it, you know, haven't been around now for almost 20 years in this, this yoga world and yoga community. I've seen people come and go like you can't believe and people for, uh, you know, sometimes four or five years are the hottest, most popular thing. And then they, they disappear, they fizzle out. Yeah. And I think that that's what happens when you are doing things for the wrong reason. So if you're operating and functioning from your ego, you will never be content. You will never be fulfilled. In Tibet, they call it the hungry ghost. It doesn't matter how much you mm. feed the hungry ghost. Its hunger will never be satiated. That will be you when you act from the wrong place. But if you teach and you connect from a place, as you said earlier, of humility and wisdom and true purpose and being of service, of focusing on how can I give and provide value to other people, how can I uplift other people, then you will be on this path indefinitely. And not only will you be on the path, but you will be on this path in a way that is sustainable, a way that is balanced, and in a way that you feel so fulfilled and happy and at peace. And ultimately, you know, we have the choice. We get to choose whether we're going to function from ego and create suffering or whether we're going to function from a deeper place of wisdom and spirit and soul and then uh, live a greater life of meaning and joy. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I totally that sentiment. And, you know, for, for people listening, whether you've been teaching for one year or you've been teaching for 20 years, you know, this, this, this sense of service and humility and this, this sense of dedication to the practice is what, what keeps it, you know, timeless, what keeps it, uh, you know, it creates that longevity. I mean, these days for you, Trav, I mean, what's, what's different than how it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, as a teacher, what are you not doing anymore? What, what have you moved on from? 
Well, I think that in many ways, I, in the beginning, I, I had to have a lot of crutches, a lot of teaching crutches. I had to have music. I had to have, I, I used, this was back before, you know, we had the, the iPod. So, you know, I literally had to walk in there with a big encyclopedia of CDs and yep. put it in the six disc CD yep. stereo player yeah. and DJ from that. CDs, you know, <laughs> it was like, I, I spent so much time and energy just on the music Yeah. and what, what happened, uh, interestingly enough was i taught yoga for seven days a week for like 12 years and some days i would teach four classes so i i accrued a massive amount of teaching experience in a very short period of time yeah and a lot of and cds yeah a lot of <laughs> cds <laughs> yeah and so what happened was is uh i learned the lesson of of imbalance and that's very important because, and I, I I had teachers, I had mentors that had even warned me. They're like, Travis, you need to have at least one or, you know, two days off a week where you're not in, in the public. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. But my, my burning desire to teach and my passion for teaching was so unharnessable that I couldn't, I couldn't understand that back then. And so I, I was more dominated by that passion than I was by the wisdom of finding the balance of what's sustainable in the long run. So a long way of saying that I started losing my voice because I would be yeah, I class that. after class yelling over nine inch nails or, uh, um, you know, rage against the machine or whatever it was that I was playing back then. And, uh, and so I started to lose my voice and the universe forced me into this position where eventually I had to strip away the music. So I, I, I took away all the music and I still had problems. Like it was still a struggle to teach. But what I found through that process, which was very, very difficult was I found, I found my real voice, a voice that wasn't dependent again on an external crutch or an external source. In this case, the music. And I grew to become a much better teacher because then I began to use my voice and the delivery of the voice and the delivery of the instruction in a way that actually was musical, that had rhythm. And Brian Kess, again, was, was a great example of somebody who was able to deliver a yoga class without any of the crutches. And you didn't miss it. You didn't miss the music. That was one of the biggest, biggest uh, differentiating factors, I would say, between the first half of my teaching career and then my second half of my teaching career. And I will sometimes play music, but now I'm no longer dependent and attached to it the way that I used to be. Mm. And especially when I'm teaching a power yoga class, if I'm teaching a yin class or something real chill and meditative, then I'll play something. But now I feel like that was a real important uh, tunnel that I had to uh, to journey through to become a better teacher. And ultimately, like I looked at people like Brian and, and Annie Carpenter and some of the other great master teachers and none of them, they none of them use music in their classes. Yeah. And again, I would say just to the people that are newer teachers, like if you're playing music in your class, again, all good. Like I used to do it keep doing it. If you're, if that's what you get like lit up around, like keep doing it. It's, it can be fun, especially if you're at a festival or a conference, like music is such a powerful thing. I'm a huge, I'm a musician myself. I get it. But I will say personally for myself, ultimately I had to become uh, truthful with myself that it was a crutch. And the moment that I let go of the crutch, I became a better version of, of me. Hmm. No, I, and I totally agree with that. And I think it's a really nice insight. The more I, I look around into the community, the more I spend time in classes, you know, a lot of the, of the, the masterful teachers, you know, there's just less fuss, right? And I even, I mean, I, I was the same way, you know, 
loads of music, lots of props, lots of toys, lots of whatever, right? 17 books I brought into class, all these kind of things, <laughs> right? And you kind of like, I'm, I'm going to do all these things. And then, you know, these days I'm like, as long as, you know, as long as the lights are just bright enough where everyone can see, I, I think we've got everything we need. You know, it's, it's a great pr- uh, progression to hear from you uh, about that. Because yeah. I do have super fond memories of coming to class where, you know, the music was cranking or, you know, you, you, you had, you know, you had the harmonium out and you were just playing, 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 all these kinds of things. So that's great to hear. Yeah, I would say over over the years, you know, it's simplify, simplify, simplify. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, this guy Stick from the hip hop group Dead Prez, he always says, uh, "Simplify to multiply," mm. uh, or the the great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who says, um, "You know, the the soul grows through subtraction, not addition." Yeah. I think that when we start peeling away and stripping away the unnecessary BS and fluff and armor and the shoulds and what's everybody else doing and we just we remove that and we remove the crutches, what happens is is that essence that exists inside of all of us has an opportunity to be fully expressed and no longer suppressed by these crutches. Yeah, I totally, totally hear that. I mean, on that point as well, and, and obviously, you know, I would never say that you were a teacher who was ever kind of caught up in the hype, but is there anything that kind of exists in your world now, or to be fair, doesn't exist in your world now that you are have been really happy just to let go of, you know, whether it's trying to teach at this place or this type of event, like, is there has there been things that were definitely early desires as a teacher that now you're just, you couldn't be bothered either way if they happened or not? Yeah, I mean, when I was a, a newer teacher, especially those first probably five, six, seven years, I I just dreamed of of, of getting to travel the world and and being a, a rock star yoga teacher that would would get to travel and 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 roll into a retreat or a, a conference or a yoga studio packed full of people, and. Um, as amazing as it is and as big of a blessing that it as it is at the end of the day at the end of a a a long day of teaching you know you're going home to or not home but you're going back to your hotel uh and you're by yourself yeah yeah and i remember i had this conversation one time with one of the most famous singers of the one of the most famous groups on the planet and he was saying the same thing, you know, that they, they would play these shows with 50 plus thousand people night after night after night. And at the end of the day, you're, you're going back to the hotel and it's just you. And it's such a paradox. It's such a wild swing to go from being the center of attention and people just praising you with gratitude and respect most of the time. And then coming back to just the quietness of, of, of settling down. It's like people that talk about when they've lost a loved one, a real close loved one, and they bury their loved one in the ground. They do the funeral uh, proceedings. And at the end of the day, there you are brushing your teeth. There you are yeah. taking your shower. There you are climbing into bed. And... It's like the the book by Jack Cornfield, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry, that even after the big show, the big day of teaching, burying the loved one, uh, becoming enlightened and awakened, that we still operate and exist in this human form that has to do these mundane tasks, paying the bills, doing the laundry. As Ram Dass used to say, at the same time that we remember our Buddha nature, we also have to remember our social security number. <laughs> and that's the paradox of being a human being, that there's part of us that's timeless uh, and that there's also part of us that has to operate in this, in this world of form. So just to say that uh, the realization of as much as I'm grateful to get to travel and teach, I'm also really appreciating this 2020 year where I get, I get to be at home. And I, I was able to fulfill the karma 
that I and, and the goals and the dreams that I had of, of, of traveling the world and selling out events. But as great as all that is, what really, really matters is, is our relationships. And I think at the, at the end of our lives, when we're taking our last breaths, and this is what I remembered when I was in the ocean drowning in Kauai was I didn't think about st stuff. I didn't think about uh, uh, anything physical or material. All I thought about was the people that I wouldn't get to say goodbye to. I thought about the people that I had loved in my life and the, the people that had loved me in my life. Mm -hmm. And in the end, that's what matters most. So it, it's just this, this constant remembering of why we're here and what we came here to do, that we came here to grow and we came here to give and that the secret to living is always gonna be growing and giving. Yeah. You, I mean, as always, it was such insightful things to share. And I, I think I can only echo all of that as such a beautiful way to look at all this. And, you know, after all is said and done, even being a, as a, as a yoga teacher, I mean, you know, we, we will, you know, we can remember them, you know, the, the feelings and some of the moments, but at the end of the day, it very much is, you know, the people around us, the moments we've had with those people, not the conferences we've been at or the flights that we've caught. Yeah. And I think it's important, especially with the challenges that, that we're all, all facing, whether that's the COVID-19 or, racial injustice and systemic racism, especially here in the United States is, you know, we have to ask ourselves not why is this happening to us, but why is this happening for us? Mm. That if you want to get good answers, you have to ask good questions. And the wise person would say, well, why is this happening for me? Why is this happening for us? Why, why, why is coronavirus happening? Why is Black Lives Matter and the, and, and the George Floyd and the Ahmaud Arbery and the Breonna Taylor, why is this happening for us? What is this here to teach us? How can we grow? How can we learn from this? And, and whether you're being pushed out of a pose by your teacher or whether you're moving through uh, just a really you know, shitty day or whatever it is for you, ask that, why is this happening for me? not to me, but for me. And then this deeper part of you, this wiser self will provide a wiser answer. And it begins to reframe your perception. As Wayne Dyer used to say, when you change the way that you look at things, the things that you look at begin to change. So it's all about perspective. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. It is such a profound moment every time I get to hear you, you talk about this stuff. And yeah, I always think back with such fond memories and, and always when we get a chance to catch up or I hear some of the stuff that you're sharing and teaching, everything that you know we've chatted about on this conversation has been so, you know, so helpful and, and such great perspective. I mean, I could honestly chat to you for, for hours. I thought I'd ask you this. I mean, what, what is the... What is the you know, what does the journey ahead look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think on a on a career level, uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is uh, my my online yoga meditation stream platform, Interdimension mm, yeah. TV. It's it's really my digital avenue for sharing for sharing my 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 teachings to the world and. I, you know, I've been blessed because I spent the last probably eight years since making this uh, Ultimate Yogi DVD series where I've create I've been working on the digital content all these years. Um, yeah. So it's it's all it's all out there. And, and now a lot of yoga teachers are having to hustle to make that that shift from physical in person classes to creating uh, digital sources where they can, you know, pay the bills and have an income. But I think the beautiful thing about the, the digital uh, avenue is, is that you can reach so many people. So yeah. now I get to connect with, with hundreds of thousands of students uh, across the world. So it, it used to be the big dream was, you know, to get 50 plus people in a yoga class at Power Yoga. And now it's like, it's in a way, 
although there's a sadness to what used to be with that and that studio no longer exists it closed down about a year ago mm -hmm. but what is that air proverb that says what is coming is better than what is gone mm. and again it's about perspective it's not about holding on to the past the past is past it's it, it is about all right what am i doing right now in this present moment what is the vision that i hold for my future and and, and in a way, it's still the same. When I had survived that, that tsunami in, in Thailand, we had to escape to the highest uh, mountain on the island of Koh Lanta. And I was up on top of the, the, the island there, surrounded by people from all over the world. And at that point, I'd really been rocked to my core to, in a way that I just could barely take. And I made a pledge to the universe that that day. And uh, I think it was the day after Christmas, December 26, 2004. And I pledged to the universe. I said, from this point on, I will dedicate my life to spreading the teachings of yoga and meditation to as many people as possible. And that that's that's the commitment. That's my vow. And that's never changed. The way that it's being executed now is is obviously changing, but the 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 purpose of of why I believe I'm here still remains the same. And I think that we all have to ask ourselves that question: Why are we here? Why are you doing what you're doing? And to get crystal clear as to what that is. Otherwise, if you if you get disconnected from it or you don't know what it is, you're just you're lost. You're like a, a boat out at sea without its rudder. And we all need a rudder. We need a direction. We need a north star. We need a lighthouse to steer our to captain our ship towards. Otherwise, the waves are going to come. The inevitable hurricanes of life are going to come and we're just going to get lost. Mm hmm. It, it brings me to my last question for you, and I think you've probably, in many ways, answered a lot of it. And, you know, while I, while I could obviously ask you many, many questions about this, and I truly admire you for not not even what you've created, but just who you are and this sense of of being on a path of service and sharing. You know, uh, uh, for Travis, you know, what what do you want your legacy to be? when all this is said and done? Well, I, I, I think that uh, if, I can, if I can leave this planet with content, uh, digital content, memories, experiences, and the hearts and minds of, of people that help them to remember who they truly are, that we're more than just a physical body. And again, the physical body is important, but that they are physical and energetic and mental and emotional and spiritual and soulful. And that from that place, they can live their life fulfilling and awakening their greatest potential and then going back and giving back to their friends and their family and the people in their community, uh, then I would say that that would be uh, mission mission accomplished. I, uh, I just wanna remind and empower people how powerful they are. And the more that people recognize that and the more that they then help other people to recognize that, the better the planet, the world, and humanity will be. Mm. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Travis. I mean, I, I really, I can't express how much uh, inspiration you've given me personally over the years, how much you, uh, you know, in many ways helped to put me on this path towards yoga and it was, you know, truly, uh, I believe, uh, a special moment to be able to be in L.A. during those early years where I could practice with yourself and, and just learn just by being in the room. And, you know, I, I think it's important that conversations like these continue to happen, not just to reminisce on how things were years ago, but also at the same time to continue to share 
knowledge, share wisdom, share stories, and share things that can take the practice forward. So thank you so much. Oh no, hey guys, it looks like that the connection dropped off and you know, being that I'm in London here and Travis is in LA, technology is always gonna be technology. But you know, I just had to catch up with Travis and he sends a fond farewell. But I just wanted to wrap up and let you guys know where you can find out more about Travis. Now, Travis, as I said, is one of my most inspirational teachers and friends. And I would love for you guys to check out more and find out and follow all the work that he's doing, not just in Los Angeles, but with all of his online stuff. So check him out at Real Travis Elliott on Instagram and also follow at Interdimension TV. Those are two great places to connect in. And obviously all of his classes, as he said, are online now. And he's got a huge library there, so it's a great resource. You know, I, I'm really, it was really a great conversation and, and a beautiful time well spent. And all the wisdom that he shared and all the quotes and all the little uh, moments have been such an insightful conversation. And it's always so beautiful to have a chance to catch up with teachers who can share such beautiful points of wisdom for us all to take on board. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. And please do me a favor if this was valuable, helpful, meaningful for you, please go ahead and follow us along more for future episodes. You know, jump onto Apple or Spotify, give it a like and subscribe. But as always, the whole point of this conversation is to really support teachers in this growing community. I'm Michael James Wong, your host. This is a podcast brought to you by Sunday School Yoga. Follow along those two things at Michael James Wong and at Sunday School Yoga. And we will see you next time on Child's Pose.